Well, Romans 15, I'm going to finish out the chapter. I'll read a long section this morning, verses 20 through 32. Paul says, it's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I wouldn't be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it's written, and here's one of Paul's life verses, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I've often been hindered from coming to you. But now that there's no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I've been longing for many years to see you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to visit you while passing through and have you assist me on my journey there, after I've enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the saints there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I've completed this task and have made sure that they've received this fruit, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and together with you be refreshed. On the radio program This American Life, the host Ira Glass took an informal poll of the hundred or so people who are in the studio with him. He asked them to think back to the beginning of their adulthood, so when they were 18 or 21 or just out of college, and were first formulating a plan for their lives. He called it Plan A, the fate you knew fate had in store for you. So he gave them a moment to recall Plan A to their minds, and then he asked all of those who were still following Plan A to raise their hands. One of the hundred people in that room raised her hand. And she was 23 years old. <clears throat> Do you remember Tony Snell? Name ring a bell to you. He was press secretary for President Bush. He was forced to leave his job because of cancer. And he died not long after at age 53. Someone asked him what spiritual lessons he learned from his battle with cancer. And this is how he answered. We want lives of simple, predictable ease, smooth, even trails as far as the eye can see. But God likes to go off-road. Has your course through life taken you off-road? You thought you knew what life had in store, certain job, loving spouse, three kids who go to college and get great jobs, and and live for the kingdom of God. But that was years ago, and now you know you didn't know what you thought you knew. Your life didn't follow a smooth, even trail. It went off-road. In fact, it went over a cliff. After college, I administered a Christian daycare and nursery school, my first job out of college. Between the first and second year of doing that, state regulations for the school increased by something like 300%. And at the same time, the economy was free-falling into recession. 
The inflation rate was somewhere above 13%. Maybe you all remember this. And, and the county, I, we lived in a very rust belt area around Cleveland. In the county where, where I was working, our uh, unemployment rate grew to almost 19%. Enrollment in our school plummeted. And we were forced to close the doors. My first job, I had to close the doors on it. I was out of work for months. Karen was working in a department store. And uh, I finally got a job. I would go to the, the employment agency every week trying to get a job. Finally got a job picking tomatoes in a greenhouse while I pursued my long-term goal of being a missionary. So while I'm picking tomatoes, I went through the credentialing process with our denomination. And they eventually, about a year later, placed me in a small church in the Youngstown area for our two years of home service before going to the field. We were actually in our third year, I think, before we met with the denominational rep to discuss our overseas appointment. He spent about an hour with us. When we were all done, he said, you really aren't what we're looking for. I left that meeting thinking, what just happened? There was no, you need to work on this, or here's a plan that you can follow to receive my recommendation. It was just, you're really not what we're looking for. Karen and I both believed God was leading us into foreign missions. We had spent the last seven years working toward that goal. I was at the top of my class in Spanish, so of course I was sure the denomination was going to send us to Latin America. Instead, what we heard was, you're really not what we're looking for. St. Paul hit the proverbial nail on the head when he wrote, now we see through a glass darkly. Even when we think we see what the future holds, when we think we have God figured out and our path through life planned, there are always things that we can't see and do not know. We cherish the illusion that we're in control because the idea of not being in control is just too unnerving. But how many adults are still following plan A after a few years? How many of you are still following plan A? Do you even remember plan A? If you're not, don't feel bad. Even St. Paul didn't stick to plan A. The best laid plans of mice and men and even apostles oft times go astray. Think of some of the heroes of the Bible. Think of Moses. He went to Pharaoh to make things better for Israel. And they immediately got worse, much worse. Or think of the disciples when they went on vacation. They needed to get away from it all. Little R&R, a break from the noise and the crowds and the needy people. And they got to their vacation destination and they found louder noise, bigger crowds, and more demanding needs. Or think of Lot, the, the nephew of Abraham. He stood one day with his uncle surveying the land and his uncle gave him first dibs. He got the best. He could see the future, and it looked bright. He moved his family eventually to Sodom and bought a home there. You imagine the real estate agent in Sodom? You're going to love the view. <laughs> and we think the Sodom-Gomorrah metro area is on the cusp of a housing boom. Well, that was sort of true, wasn't it? See, we think we have a good plan. We think we know how things are going to go. Then illness, financial setbacks, relational discord, and we find out we don't have as much control as we thought we did. 
Our control only extends a short distance beyond us in space and an even shorter distance forward in time. The great preacher D. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote, We think that God can come in only one way, but he may sometimes do the opposite of what we anticipate. It's a fundamental principle in the life and walk of faith that we must always be prepared for the unexpected when we're dealing with God. Our control does not extend very far in space or time, but God does. Our best laid plans often fail. God's never do. Our task in life is to learn to trust our God, not control our future. In Wendell Berry's remarkable novel, Jaber Crow, he has Jaber write, I can't look back from where I am now and feel that I have been very much in charge of my life. I've made plans enough, but I see now that I've never lived by plan. Nearly everything that's happened to me has happened by surprise. All the important things have happened by surprise. And whatever's been happening usually has happened before I had time to expect it. And so when I thought I was in my story or in charge of it, I really have been only on the edge of it, carried along. And then he asks, is this because we're in an, in an eternal story that's happening only partly in time? Yes, yes, it's because we are in an eternal story that's happening only partly in time, and it's someone else's story. It's not principally about us, though we're asked to contribute to the story. We don't have editorial control. We must learn to trust the editor to delete and change the story as he deems best. And we must realize that the editor may have a different outcome in mind for us than we do. But that's a good, a good thing. It's a great thing. In the Pensees, René Pascal wrote, the God of the Christians is a God of love and consolation, a God who fills the soul and heart of those whom he possesses, a God who makes them inwardly aware of their wretchedness and his infinite mercy, who united himself with them in the depths of their soul. And then he adds this, the God who makes them incapable of having any other end but him. We want to write the end of our story like this, and he got a great job and lived happily ever after. Or she married the perfect man, won the respect of everyone, and lived happily ever after. Or they spent winters in Florida, met fun and interesting people, and had plenty of retirement income, and lived happily ever after. That is not the way the story goes. But it's not the happily ever after part that's wrong. That's perfectly right. That's God's design. The part that's wrong is that a great job or a perfect marriage or plenty of income is the end of the, of the story. It is not. The end of the story is the God who makes us incapable of having any other end but him. When we think the end of the story is being a missionary or a husband or a wife or a comfortable retiree or whatever, we stopped the story too soon. The end of the story, the true end of man, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's how the story always ends, when God writes it.
We need to keep that in mind. When our smooth, even trail story suddenly goes off-road, if our story goes off-road, it's because God knows that off-road is the surest way to happily ever after. When it goes off a cliff, we need to know that God is there to catch us. We need to keep that in mind. But that can be difficult to do, and especially for people who plan their work and work their plan. I know some of you are those kinds of people, people who make goals and then pursue them. One of those people was the Apostle Paul. He was a man who had goals, and his goals were based on principles. He just referred to one of his guiding principles in verse 20. It's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. He was sure that God had called him to break ground, not tend gardens. And he governed his life by that principle. He planned around that principle. When he says in verse 22, this is why I've often been hindered from coming to you, he's talking about that principle. Ground had already been broken in Rome without him. But there had been many places in the eastern Mediterranean that had never heard of Christ. Present opportunities kept getting in the way of future plans. Paul couldn't follow his heart, his desire, and go to Rome until his work in the east was completed. But, this is verse 23, now that there's no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I've been longing for many years to see you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. So that principle would lead him to Spain to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. But he planned to stop off in Rome first for some R&R and to do some fundraising. That's what he's talking about in verse 24 when he says, I hope to visit you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey. So this is going to be a working vacation. Paul had it all planned out. You read that so clear in Romans 15. And, And understand, his plan was based on his principles, and his principles were based on his calling. So, of course, things ought to work out. Paul had longed to go to Rome for years, and his longing was just weeks away from becoming reality. He writes in verse 32 of his hope to come to them with joy and together with them to be refreshed. The Greek is literally to rest with you. Paul needed a rest. If you read 2 Corinthians, which is probably written just before Romans, you'll understand why he needed a rest. And things were finally working out so that he could get one. There's only one thing that had to be done first, and that was take the large financial gift that he'd been collecting for months to the Jerusalem church. This had been one of the major projects of Paul's life. He writes about it in all of his letters from this period. He's deeply invested in this project and enthusiastically hopeful for it. He saw this offering as a means of healing the rift between Jewish Christians and their Gentile counterparts. And now, after months of fundraising, of collections, of all the stuff that goes with it from all over, Greece and Macedonia and parts of Turkey, the project was almost completed. He had a plan, and he was working the plan. As soon as this offering in Jerusalem was taken care of, he was going to head for Rome for a much-needed vacation, and then off to Spain. He asked the Roman Christians to pray about two things in verse 31. First, that he would be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea. 
And second, that the offering he carried would be well received by the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. He wasn't sure that was going to happen. Would they accept this offering from Gentiles? From Luke's report and the book of Acts, the second request that the offering would be accepted was answered spectacularly. But the first request that he would be delivered from unbelievers in Judea was not. Or it was answered, no. He went to the temple while he was in Jerusalem. He was attacked by a mob that would have killed him had the authorities not intervened. But rather than arresting the people who attacked Paul, the authorities arrested Paul on what was manifestly a false charge, and they threw him into jail. While he was in jail, his enemies plotted to kill him, so he was transferred from jail to a federal, really an imperial facility. So one day Paul was wrapping up this huge project and getting ready to head off for a much-needed, well-deserved vacation. Almost the next day, he was in a high-security prison. And because of government corruption, he spent years there, years there, without a trial. Even the great apostle must have wondered what was going on. Spending years in a prison cell was never part of the plan. The plan he was confident God had endorsed. Look at verse 29. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. But that's not how he came to them. Or at least it didn't seem that way. When he came to them, it was aboard a prison transport ship. After years of incarceration, Paul had gone from global traveler to hermit. The world had shrunk from the cosmopolitan centers of the Mediterranean to a 10 by 10 cell. And to add insult to injury, when he finally got to Rome on this prison transport and explained his situation to the representative Jews there, thinking that they would know all about him, they said, sorry, but we've never even heard of you. During his years in prison, most of the outside world forgot about him. So what do we learn from all this? I think we learn that God goes off-road. Not just in our lives, but in apostles' lives. We learn that none of us, not even the celebrated apostle to the Gentiles, has things work out the way he or she expects. Most of us aren't on plan A or, or B or even C, D, or E. We're down there at X, Y, and Z. We learn that many are the plans of a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. And you know, sometimes it's almost too much for us. Can we endure it? To see our plans go up in smoke, the glitches, the bombshells, the dying dreams, the unexpected, unwelcome tribulations. Can we endure it? Yes, we can not only endure it, we can conquer, we can rejoice, we can get knocked off our feet and get back up and even sing. The Apostle Paul did all those things. When he wrote to the Philippians, which may have been during this imprisonment, we can't be sure because Paul was in prison so many times. 
when he wrote to the Philippians, he was full of gratitude and joy and confidence. He told his friends that what had happened to him, his arrest, a beating, imprisonment, and more had really served to advance the gospel. Even whiling away his time in a prison cell, he was confident and hopeful. But how? And how can we be that way when our plans go sideways? You know, there's so much to say in answer to that question. We could talk about the scripture in the place of the spiritual disciplines. Kevin mentioned this morning. We could talk about prayer. No one can do what Paul did without much prayer. You're only kidding yourself if you think you can do this without prayer. This kind only happens by much prayer. Those things are completely intertwined with faith. How does it all fit together? We're going to be talking about that in a few weeks. I'm going to start a series called Down to Earth which covers the nuts and bolts of living for heaven on earth. And we'll talk about many of those things. But today, I just want to give you this advice. Regard all your plans as provisional. But God's purpose is final. That's a choice to make. That's something to do. To regard all your plans as provisional, but God's purpose is final. Many are the plans of a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. You want to do this or do that, become such and such, go here or there, and you begin making plans to fulfill those desires, and that's good. You should. But before you take another step, stop and submit those plans to the Lord. God, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to buy this house over here. I'm going to spend winters in Florida. I'm going to take this job or whatever it might be. Submit those plans to the Lord. You don't have enough information to see where the road leads on the other side of your plans, but God does. You can't see past the next big thing, but he sees everything. Say to him, Lord, I submit my plans to your purpose. If you achieve your purpose by way of my plans, I'll be grateful. If not, if my plans lead me away from your purpose, then I accept in advance a change of itinerary. As much as I want my plans to succeed, I want your purpose even more. And what is his purpose? What is it that's so important that our plans must always give way to it? Remember Pascal's words, God who makes them incapable of having any other end but him. God's purpose is for you to have him, to be of such character and quality, that is, to be made like Christ so that you can experience God. When he takes you off-road and away from your plan, it's because he's leading you to himself and making you capable of receiving what he gives. So submit your plans to that purpose, and you'll be able to endure setbacks without losing faith. You'll be able to be at peace when you move from plan A to plan B, and even from plan Y to plan Z. And when you're on plan Z... 
you'll rejoice that you know God more intimately than ever before. And you'll realize you wouldn't exchange that for the world. All right, let's bow our heads. And I'm going to give you a, a moment to say to God, I submit my plans to your purpose. And I know some of you, it's past plans and you still have not submitted them to God's purpose. You have been confused and angry because he didn't do what you wanted. For some of you, they're future plans and you know what you want to have happen. Would you submit them to the Lord? Lord, I submit these to you. If they're the way that you want to achieve your purpose, then I am grateful. But if not, then change my itinerary. God, thank you for hearing our prayers and hearing our hearts and for caring enough to do something about it. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.